brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. If you feel like a bit of a coaching session to work on your skills for leadership or listening, then this podcast episode is for you. Today, I am joined by Sami Al-Ashrafi. His CV is bulging. From the sectors and organisations he has worked with to the personal skills he has developed along the way. But what is clear is that his journey has allowed him to observe, to be a real people watcher. His understanding of what works well for some people and makes them successful, and why for others we can ask ourselves just some seemingly very simple questions that could unlock new opportunities, Sammy has a few ideas and answers for us. Our conversation pivots around the hope for more responsible and positively impactful businesses, but businesses grounded in people bringing their humanity to the fore. So, Sammy, welcome. Thank you for having me, Katie, and thanks to all of your listeners as well. Great to have you. Sammy, your career path has taken you from the corporate sector to setting up your own organisation to facilitate change in business. Can you share with us a little bit more about your journey and what's motivating you? Uh, For sure. So as long as I can remember, I've always had this fascination with humanity. And it seemed like an accident as I went through my career. It took me a couple of decades to realise it. But looking back, values and culture have always been those red or golden threads throughout my life. I remember when I declared to my family and close friends that I wanted to study philosophy and theology at university. They're like, are you crazy? Much better to do business management or finance. I really had this this compelling need just to study more about people and how we've evolved. And I ended up specializing in ethics. And that saw me do a stint of a foreign office working on human rights. I then ended up working with corporations around values transformations. And somehow I ended up reporting into the lead regulators in financial services and also the US Department of Justice, trying to evidence how banks were evolving their culture in order to provide better outcomes for communities and, of course, society at large. So I founded Marmalade Fish in 2015. It's a consultancy that looks at bringing humanity to business. And this year, I also became a partner in a company called Elephas, which is Greek for elephant and is the first beauty brand in the world that's dedicated to the conservation of an endangered species. And that aim is bringing humanity and nature to thrive together. Wow. And just picking up on your kind of career path a little bit. I mean, if you look at your CV, you don't just have this sort of the jobs I've done, but you have this never ending, what seems like sort of personal skill toolkit that includes degrees, but also sort of being a further learning consultant, a Reiki master, NLP practitioner, excuse me, I don't necessarily know what that means, but executive and systemic coach, assessor with the British Psychological Society, fellow of the RSA. It goes on and on and on. What keeps you learning and and what's next on your list? I think I've been very lucky, although I like Oprah's definition, which is luck is preparation that meets opportunity. In other words, if I hadn't been prepared when those opportunities came along, I wouldn't have been so-called lucky. And yet, would you believe, Katie, I'm on a quest to live a goalless life? 
I sense that as long as I have my health, then I have everything I need and then I can stay in service of this work. So what's next for me? Well, I love to explore different brainwave states. So I regularly participate in brainwave or neurofeedback training to try and access different states of consciousness. And it's emerged through previous trainings that I have very high levels of delta brainwaves, which typically you wouldn't find in a waking state. And so when we're able to travel more freely again, I want to explore that, go to Arizona, where I'll train on Delta in a light and soundproof chamber. Wow. We come back to us at that point or after that and tell us what it's like. That sounds crazy. I'd love to. Cool. Um, Talking a little bit about the the work that you're and the mission that you're on at the moment, you've recently published Time for Humanity, not meaning to steal the book's thunder. What should we expect from it when we read it? Well, the book is about enlightened or conscious leadership. And by that, I mean anyone who's willing to step into being a leader. That's all of us. But leadership is a verb. So it's something that requires our conscious action of being able to connect our humane nature with the need to bring humanity into our businesses, into our daily actions, into the communities that we're part of. So my sense is the unconscious ways that we've been living in have become unsustainable And there is a growing awareness that there is an opportunity for more purposeful change. And when I think of business at large and the work I've done around my career, I've noticed that society is profoundly unimpressed by endless corporate claims to uphold certain values in mission statements that are blatantly hypocritical. And so my sense is if people, if business is all about people, the book looks at then how is it that good people let bad things happen? And across the research, what emerged was there was this difference between an individual sense of ethics at home and at work, almost as though we temporarily check out our humanity when we swipe our access cards to enter work and regain our human agency when we leave a building or we close down these days, our last Zoom call. So I found it very interesting that certain investment bankers, they reported the ability to turn off their emotions to achieve goals in the years that were leading up to the global financial crisis. In other words, it wasn't fearlessness that they experienced. It was non-caringness or the absence of humanity. So the book starts with part one, the unconscious past, and looks at how in our day-to-day actions, but through our experience of work, how we have dimmed our humanity. Part two is very much about the awakening present, asking big, sometimes controversial questions around What kind of individual or collective society do we want to be part of? And part three shifts the energy into what I call the awakened future. And it very much turns the telescope around back onto self and thinks about ego and purpose. So again, I think we're all leaders. And as the world searches for that leadership, the book asks, how do we show up as leaders in our lives and in every action that we take? But the first step is to look at ourselves. So who do you think should be reading this book and and what do you think would be the change as a result of reading it? My encouragement would be anybody who's willing to take a step or who feels that they're being called to, to be involved in something that's much bigger than them. I would argue that's the whole of humanity, but we have to be ready to take that step. I would love to see people at universities study it. I mean, I wonder, instead of finance and economics, if we studied the humanities, what would be different in our world? So I'd love for people who are starting their leadership career, graduates, to look at it 
I'd like to see middle management in organizations, community leaders have a look at it. And senior leaders, if they were to read it and inspired by it, then pass it to the teams who work for them. The changes I want to see is a recognition that all of us every single day have an opportunity to connect with our humanity because when we express it, then we feel it and we bring back that sense of what it means to be a person of moral fiber rather than perhaps subcontracting our thinking to policies that are created in complex organizations or deferring perhaps to the rule book. So getting people really to step up, but it's not about if you like learning anything, it's more stripping away the layers. I argue that we have everything that we need, but perhaps that we can unmask ourselves or peel off a few layers to connect back to our finer nature. Well, for anybody listening, if you want to get your hands on Time for Humanity, I will put the link into the words that sit alongside this podcast. Um, Sammy, we're recording this halfway through or sort of three quarters of the way through 2020, which I have to say is a significant one challenging us all in new ways. From your experience and insight, I think my question for you is what questions aren't we asking ourselves that we need to in order to be able to move forward from, quite frankly, this crazy global pandemic? Yeah. And one of my critics said the other day, it's all well and good, but at the moment, Sammy, people are just grateful to have a job. And that's a a worry for me because I would hate for new normals to be created in the state of just being grateful to have something that provides a salary. So I I like the message to be inspiring, but very realistic. I understand the challenges of this year. And I do think there is an opportunity for us to be able to bring more awareness. And with that comes knowledge and responsibility and hold our leaders to account. So I think that the impact of COVID-19 in my sense has meant that more than ever, we do need to bring our humanity to the business world. And I would be asking, you know, does growth at any cost still serve us? Does shareholder primacy or quarterly reporting still work for us whilst we're focusing too much on the metrics, perhaps? Or I say in the book, value over values, profit before principles. My sense is that there is a balance that can be struck. And it's almost as if the pendulum has swung too far in one direction. But also, I think we need to be asking ourselves, what are our core values? Can't tell you, myself and the team, we work with so many leaders across geographies and we ask, what are your core values? What are the most important things or your priorities in life? And usually the response we get is, "Mm, uh, it's, I think, it's not a very articulated response. So I think there's an opportunity for us to just bring some consciousness, awareness to what are the most important things in our lives? And therefore, how do we demonstrate or bring that in our daily actions? Because the truth is, business doesn't have values. We do. The uncomfortable truth is, it's like business doesn't really need more humanity. We need more humanity. Because business is a piece of paper signed by some very important people. It's a construct that we believe in. So the opportunity is for us in this new paradigm that's emerging. How do we start shifting away from that rapid growth at any cost and perhaps forgetting that society gave us life in the first place and go back to being more connected to that and recognizing we can't be in a bystander in the society or community that gave us life in the first place. I believe that what's emerging in this new system is that change can come from anywhere, wherever it's needed. In fact, organizations could be more like organisms 
In fact, that's how change has occurred in nature for millions of years. Innovation and change never really happens centrally or from the top or according to a plan, but at the edges where there's a sense in the environment and some sticks and some doesn't. But I feel that that's the opportunity for all of the listeners to recognize we're all leaders and the change won't necessarily happen in the new paradigm centrally or top down. But the good news is, if there's one thing that history has taught us, as we start thinking about these big questions in what's been such a challenging year, humanity has always persevered through hardship by remembering and appealing to our finer nature and coming together to build something anew on that basis. And I'm a terrible pragmatist, Sammy. You talk a bit about becoming whole in some of the work you've done and um, how to recognise and balance our energies in a sort of positive and, and useful way. I mean, what does this really mean? And for those listening, how could they potentially apply this insight? I talk about in the book, our out of balance working world. And I suggest that for the longest time, we've been told to show up in a certain way, be that analytical, competitive, driven, in order to appear successful at work. And numbers and status and money were all important. And as I've just said, the answer to achieve that was often through rapid growth. I've suggested, because I wanted to put a word to those energies, so I'm not speaking about gender, but all traditions have recognized there are different energies that exist within humanity. And one way for us to define it for the purpose of language today is traditionally, stereotypically, those characteristics or traits have been referred to as masculine and feminine. And so what I'm suggesting is when we examine the underlying cultural norms or those expectations that drive our observable behavior, we find that one of the most ingrained and unconsciously accepted is the emphasis that we place on the goal. And feminine cultures place more emphasis on the process towards achieving a goal. We talked before about the pendulum, and I suggest the problem with a masculine norm is that when we're too focused on the goal itself, it creates what I call cultural blind spots. And it starts to come at the cost of our other responsibilities. So change, as we experience it in corporations, I think of it as quite masculine. It's focus, drive, and action. But bringing it to life also requires feminine attributes or traits, like empathy, deep listening, vulnerability-based trust, open communication. I believe that we're denying a certain part of ourselves and therefore dimming our humanity by overvaluing certain traits that exist within all human beings of all genders. And there's an opportunity for us to start playing more notes, if you like, of the music and hold these opposing vibrations that sit within us. Because I don't know if you've noticed, Katie, but most leadership programs or off-sites I go to, they actually focus on the leadership traits of empathy, deep listening, collaboration, coming together. And yet my notice is that they don't stick when people go back into the day job. If it doesn't stick, it tells us that we have a blind spot or a cultural norm that is spoken or unspoken. So again, let me emphasize, it's not about gender. It's about we're all at our best when we bring our energies into balance and when we're able to use either set of energies in accord with what's appropriate. And I found on my journey People who lead with balanced energy, they tap into this really unique source of power. And those with whom they interact with actually find it quite disarming, but I mean in a positive way. 
Sammy, this podcast is all about finding ways for business to fight poverty uh, or shorthand for doing more social good. What advice would you give to help enable leaders or decision makers who are potentially listening to this conversation today? Absolutely. Well, I believe we're on a journey to go from me to we. That's the key crux of morality. How do we go from what I call an ecosystem to an ecosystem? And as you've heard me say today, it starts with myself and the small daily actions that we take and with whom we give and receive. So I I guess globalization has brought immense benefits. It's lifted billions of people out of poverty, but it's also led some companies to participate or collude with social injustice or unfair working conditions, or as we said earlier, a lack of concern for the environment, natural resources, or contributing to ecological damage. So don't get me wrong, I have no ethical objection whatsoever to companies getting rich. My challenge is, as long as it's not at the expense of other people, and I see that five minutes after people get rich, their leaders, inverted commas, seem to pull up the ladder after themselves so that nobody else does. So I talk in the book around this rise of corporate power has not necessarily been matched by corporate responsibility. And when I think about, let's say, the fashion industry, predicated on objects having a short life. You know, they say fashion is known as capitalism's favorite child, a deregulated short-term industry, high on resources and based on a fad. And in that industry, it's not uncommon to find men who have personal fortunes of billions presiding over female workers who can earn as little as 35 pence an hour in the global South. And also when I look at fashion, it speaks to the endless subcontracting that happens in organizations today, where everyone is trying to so-called nickel and dime each other. People at the top get richer, but in these multi-layered and complex supply chains, so who are responsible then for those people at the so-called bottom of the chain? And as leaders, how do we know if our suppliers share our values? As consumers, at what point do we stop caring? So I believe that my hope is more businesses come back to their social responsibility. But if they don't, the good news is we're all consumers and consumers are becoming more actively involved. They're becoming committed citizens. And I think it's we that are going to get to set the agenda on this. So we have the purchasing power that can demand more dignified conditions for workers everywhere. With our dollar, we'll be able to make sure people start getting a fair living wage. And we can start asking questions, big questions like what kind of a society do we want? But also questions like, is it cheap because of modern day slavery? Is this something that contributed to the harm of animals or human beings? Did it harm the environment? Could it have been packaged more sustainably? If we start checking in with our power as consumers, Because business is about money today, sadly, I think business will change. So that's the good news. We do have a lot of power in this. And and thinking about that power, if you are potentially a person sitting within an organisation and keen to make change from within, potentially you're a lone voice or feel a bit of an odd one out, what would be your advice to them? Well, I know what that feels like. So I, I very much sat on the periphery of systems throughout my career trying to look as relevant as possible that people would see me as credible, but not being changed by the norms or hidden power structures and organizations so that I could try and affect that change from the inside out. So I know it's not easy. 
I would say to your listeners, you are making a difference. And I would perhaps start to reflect on a couple of questions. So how can others benefit from your leadership as a verb? What are the day-to-day actions, even if it's tiny things, that you can continue to role model? Because very quickly that will create norms in the system and other people will follow. And then just remember to keep chunking up to what do you want to be remembered for? You know, what's your legacy? And that will help you stay, as I call a pillar or a beacon of light, even when times get tough. Or as I should say this year, even tougher. I think it's worth remembering that inside of ourselves, we do have this control switch to any perception and remembering that things get better because of you, not because of externals. So I love there's a quote from Stephen King, which resonates with me when I'm having a tough day or I feel like I'm a lone voice. And it's, you can, you should. And if you're brave enough to start, you will. Well, on that note, uh, better wrap it up. Sammy, thank you very much for your wisdom, your advice and your insights today. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show, Katie. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Poverty.